0: And I've entitled our sermon series, Lord Have Mercy. Lord Have Mercy, not only because we need the mercy of God, but because that's the focal point of this book that we're going to see week after week after week after week. We're going to see that the, the love that God has for His people transcends national, cultural, and historic boundaries and points us to the sacrifice ultimately that Jesus Christ has made for us on the cross. This is what the book of Jonah is all about. Even in the Old Testament, pointing us over and over and over to the cross at Calvary. And so, Lord have mercy will be the name of our sermon series. And we're going to be talking today about running from God. Running from God. Uh, it's funny that I actually spoke with the, the ladies this morning. I think Ms. Candy had mentioned this. And I've, I've, earlier this week I met with some folks that are getting ready to join our church. And they would given me their testimony. Almost every week of my life when I hear people give testimony to when they first met the Lord Jesus Christ to where they are today... They have a checkpoint in their life. I like to call it the college syndrome. I certainly was not a believer in college, but if I was, this would have accounted for me too. You get to this point in your life where you say, I knew who Jesus was, but I wasn't exactly living for Jesus Christ. And I've heard that over and over and over again, and I've heard it in other people's lives. Um, I I mean, testimonies over and over and over again that point to this. I even remember back in college, uh, my roommate telling me these very words. He said to me, I know that I've not surrendered my life to God. I'm just not ready to give him everything I have yet. Here's the danger in that statement. That statement sets up the possibility that there is somehow neutral ground when it comes to God. And let me tell you what the word of God says. There is no neutral ground. You are either for God or you're against God. You're either running away from him or you're running right into his arms. There is no neutral ground when it comes to following God as we'll find when we walk here through the book of Jonah. But we know this from the very beginning of time. This is a dilemma that started way back in Genesis chapter 3 in the beginning of the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. God presents Adam and Eve with specific commands. It's not that they don't love God. It's not that they don't want to obey God. But yes, they want to be God themselves. And so they disobey this word. They eat from the forbidden tree of the, the tree, of the knowledge of good and evil, they eat that forbidden fruit. And all of a sudden we spin out of control. They're kicked out of the garden. And we have been sojourners on the run ever since we're trying to get home. We're trying to get home. And yet most of us are running in the exact opposite direction from home because we're running from God. We serve a God who is loving and Holy. In God's love, He offers us an abiding relationship with Him as we're given the privilege of participating in His eternal plan. In God's holiness, He commands us to obey Him in order that we can fulfill this plan. So we have a choice, and that choice does not offer us neutral ground. And the choice is this. Are you running today towards the will of God, or are you running today away from God Himself? If you have a Bible, please turn with me to the book of Jonah. We're going to be in chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Again, the book of Jonah, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And if you would stand out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant word. Again, we're in Jonah chapter 1, and we're in verses 1 through 3. Hear the word of the Lord, starting in verse 1. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, again, we love you, and we thank you and praise you for this day that you have made. Father, I pray that our souls would be laid bare as we open up your word here this morning. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would saturate this sanctuary and every word that comes from my mouth, that it would be anointed, that it would be yours and your truth and your glory, Father. All of us in this room know what it is to run from you. And by grace and by mercy, some have turned and some haven't. And it is my prayer here this morning that all would hear the truth of this word and that our hearts and our minds would be changed, that we would respond in repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, and we would run as hard and as fast to you as we possibly could. Be with us here this morning as we open your word. We thank you. We praise you. We offer these words in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. And as we walk through just the first... Three verses, what I want to do is kind of take us through three stages here in three verses of Jonah and his relationship with God that eventually leads him to this disobedience. So, the first stage that I want to show us here in verse one is this. Number one, Jonah receives God's word. Okay? Jonah receives God's word. Look back at verse one. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Now, let me stop there and let's look at this first passage, this first verse. First, Jonah. The name Jonah means dove. And when we think of a dove, especially in the Old Testament and parts of the New Testament, we think of a messenger. And there's two in particular passages that point us to the significance of a dove. Think in your mind for a second. If I said dove, what are, some, what are two passages that come to your mind? One of the Old Testament, one of the New. In the Old Testament, we go all the way back to Genesis and Noah's Ark. And what is it that Noah did? Eventually, he sent a dove. From the ark to see if the waters had subsided far enough for them to leave the ark. So that was the messenger that Noah had sent out. But when you think of dove, I think primarily as a Christian, you think of the Holy Spirit. In the Gospels, specifically in Matthew, we see at the time of the baptism of Jesus in the River Jordan as he's being baptized by John the Baptist, we see that the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. And we know the Holy Spirit, who is God is also the messenger of God. We talked several weeks ago, when you talk about the Trinity, one way to remember, it is the Father who assigns, it is the Son who accomplishes, and it is the Spirit who applies. That's just a helpful way to remember kind of in the triune Godhead how God works. And so you got that Spirit who applies, He is the messenger. So that word Jonah, which means dove, has very significant meaning as a messenger. Now we see that Jonah, as a messenger, is also a prophet. All right, he is one of what we call the minor prophets, not because his message is minor, but because the story is not as long as some of the major prophets in the Old Testament. It has more to do with the length of the book and not necessarily the message. But Jonah is a messenger. Jonah is a prophet, and Jonah receives God's word. Jonah receives the word of the Lord. That's not something small. That is something huge. And in the Old Testament, that means God spoke directly to them, giving them a commandment to go and preach. But you know what? Here today, God speaks to us. What we have in our hands right now is as equally as significant as God speaking directly to Jonah because we have the word of the Lord. And we don't need to forget that. We dive into books like this. And we say, oh, I can't, read. I can't wait to read Jonah. I want to dive right in. And you, and you read verse 1, and it's a throwaway verse. It just gets us to the plot. No. Stop. The first words. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. That's amazing. Stop and think about this for a moment. I talk about this with our kids all the time in Awana, the TNT boys on Wednesday night. We walk through this every single week, don't we, Sharon? We talk about two ways in which God reveals himself to the world. That's Uh, general revelation which is nature you can walk outside and see the moon and the stars and the trees and the birds and you can see that a God exists because of what he's created but then you have what's called special revelation not only does God want you to know that he exists he wants you to know his mind he wants you to know his heart he wants you to know his will and how amazing is it that God reveals himself to us through his word All right, we have his written word, the scriptures, and we have his word made flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says, when you have seen me, you have seen the father. He is the invisible God made visible. And although Jesus is not with us in the flesh, we have his word in printed format that we can hear a direct word from God. Anytime we open this book, God has inspired it all. Every single word that God intended to be in this book is in this book. All the 66 individual books were inspired not only in the way they were written, but also in the process by which they were put together. There's not one book in this Bible that's not meant to be there. And there's not one book that should be there that's not there. God has inspired this whole process for this very reason. He wants his people to know him. And God wanted Jonah to know him and to know his will. So let's not not go too fast Uh, Past that first point, Jonah receives God's word. But not only that, as we shift to the second stage here, Jonah realizes God's plan. Let's look here at verse 2. It says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Here's what I love about God. I had a, a professor who one time mentioned this when it comes to trusting in the Bible. He says, God does not have a speech impediment. When God wants to get a message across, He is loud and clear and He makes sure that His people hear exactly what it is that He wants them to do. And so Jonah hears loud and clear this plan. And this plan has a place, it has an action, and it has a reason. All right, What was he told to do? He's told to get up, stop doing what he was doing, and arise. He was told to go to a specific place, Nineveh, home of the Assyrians, the sworn enemy of the Israelites. He was told to perform a specific action. He was to prophesy against them as a warning of judgment. And he was told this action had a specific reason. Because the evil of Nineveh had come before the eyes of God. So at this point, Jonah fully understands what God is telling him. He's not confused. He knows who the word has come from. And he knows exactly what it is that God has called him to do. He realizes God's plan. Now let me say, why would Jonah have a problem with this? Why is it that Jonah would rebel against the idea of going to these sworn enemies and preaching judgment? Well, here's what I love about the Bible. We can cheat. We can go to the end of the story, go to the back of the book to find the answers. All right? And in Jonah chapter 4, verse 2, he tells us what was on his mind back in, verse, in chapter 1. He says in Jonah chapter 4, verse 2, And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord... Is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. He's saying, God, I know why you called me to go to to the Ninevites. Now, historical background here. The Ninevites are a sworn evil nation. who's the direct enemy of the Israelites. They had corrupted previous kings of Israel. All right, these were Gentiles who did not hold to the Mosaic law. They wanted to overtake Israel and they were corrupt in every way that you could be corrupt. And so you could understand why Jonah does not want to waste his time with them, but specifically Jonah knows that God's a loving and merciful God. And Jonah knows that if he goes and preaches judgment and repentance, that God is loving and merciful to grant them mercy if they will only repent he knows the heart of god and he does not want to share the blessing of god with his sworn enemy you know before we move on to stage three let me say this as i'm walking through and i'm seeing the disobedience of jonah it reminds me in my own life of this i'm not worried about the things that i don't know from god i'm worried about the things that i do know that i'm not doing I think about this all the time as someone who is just white hot for seminary and finishing a master's and praying about a doctorate if I'm still alive when I finish these things. You know, I I love to study God's word. I love theology. I lay in bed at night thinking about these things. But at the end of the day, I really believe that when I stand before God, he's going to judge me according to things that I understood crystal clear, not what I got a C minus on in my Greek quiz. He is going to hold me accountable to what it is that I know. And I think it's the same for all of us. You know, I specifically remember this as a youth pastor, although now as a pastor, I see it all the time. Uh, But when I was a youth pastor specifically, I remember teenagers coming up to me And they just—they wanted to talk about these difficult passages in the Bible. They wanted to say, tell me all about the book of Revelation. How does this work? And how does this prophecy work? And how do we know we can trust these books in the Bible? And how come these books didn't make it in? And they ask all these questions. And I want to say, instead of, and I use this analogy, instead of being a basketball player who starts practice, launching three-pointers from half court, why don't we work on some layups? Let's start with what we know. And are you being obedient to what you know? Because at the end of the day, God's God's given you enough to keep you busy. If you only had one book in this whole Bible, let's just take one book of the New Testament. Let's say Philippians, since I know a lot of our Sunday school classes are going through Philippians. If you only had the book of Philippians, and you only had the rest of your life to study that one book, there's enough in that letter from the the church at Philippi to keep you busy the rest of your life. I'm not worried about the things I don't know. I'm worried about the things that I do know that I'm not being obedient to. Jonah knew crystal clear what God was going to do. He knew that God was a God of mercy and grace, and he knew that his sworn enemy would receive that grace if he did what God told him to do and preach judgment to them, and he just didn't want to do it. He didn't want to share God's mercy. He didn't want to share God's love. He believed that the nation of Israel, as chosen covenant people of God, cornered the market on God's blessing. What he either didn't know or what he didn't want to admit is that God did choose uh, Israel as a chosen nation, but it is through Israel that God always intended to bless the rest of the world. And it's through, his, through that nation that he would bring his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to make the salvation available to all. So number two, Jonah realizes God's plan. But here's number three. This is the biggie. All right, we go from God's word to God's plan, and then number three, Jonah runs From God's presence. Look at verse 3 again with me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. I believe there's a threefold process that's taken place here. And it happens with every single one of us as it did with Jonah here in this passage. All right, Jonah heard from God, Jonah understood God, and then Jonah rejected God. All right, he heard God, he understood God, but then he rejected him. I hear people all the time say, they don't, they don't have enough information, Bo. when someone dies and they stand before God, maybe they never heard the gospel. Well, maybe they didn't hear the gospel, but Romans 1 teaches us there's enough in nature to point to the fact that there is a God and they never bowed their knee or confessed with their tongue that God existed. We know enough to know that there is a God and we understand enough to know that He is to be worshipped. And when He's not, we openly reject Him. All of us. Born into this depravity where we have completely rejected God. And we are running from Him. We are running from God. Here's the irony in that. All of us know here that God is sovereign and He's omnipresent. Which means He's everywhere at all times, past, present, future. And in that regard, we know you cannot run from the presence of God. We'll talk about that in weeks to come as we we find out what happens when Jonah runs. But there is nowhere to run. In fact, I love this quote from the great Donald Barnhouse. He said, when you run away from the Lord, you never get where you're going and you always pay your own fare. And that's a good word. That's a good word. How How many years of our lives do we spend running and we're not really going anywhere? I mean, you can't hide from God. You will face judgment. You know, I... I hear people share this with me all the time. They try, and I think Brother Monty Tillman and I were talking about this this morning. The world cannot stand the fact that this truth is, is not changing. It's eternal. And society and culture wants to redefine truth, and you can't. And, and, and they want to redefine it so that they can take the truth, make it their own, And feel comfortable about the decisions that they're making in their own lives. And in that respect, you can numb the pain. You can numb the guilt of living outside the will of God. And you can do it for a full season of your life. But you can't outrun God. If you outrun Him on this side of heaven after your final breath, you will stand before Him and have to take up an account for your life. There's no outrunning God. There is no outrunning the Lord. You will stand before Him. And based on the knowledge that you have and the gifts that you were given, you're going to have to take up an account for the decisions that you have made in your life. So how are we running from God? Again, I was blessed this morning. Uh, You had mentioned, Candy, something that I actually had in the notes here. Some people run away from God by running to church. You know, you can actually do that. You could be a wallflower in the sanctuary week after week, running away from God because coming to church and sitting in the pew eases the guilt of your conscience that you're living for God when you know that you're not. All right? Here's just a couple of guidelines to help us gauge in which direction we're running. Let me ask yourself these questions. Is there any part of your daily life that you would be embarrassed of if Jesus was watching you in the flesh? Are you being a steward of the gifts of your time, talents, and treasures for the kingdom of God? We've talked about that the last few weeks. Have you repented of your sins and committed to following Jesus? I'm not talking, that commitment is not just the time you walked an aisle, signed a card, said a prayer. Is your life bearing witness to that right now? And are you following Jesus as an active member of a local church today? Again. I love Cedar Street Baptist Church, and it would be my desire for this sanctuary to fill up week after week. There's not a pastor worth his salt that doesn't want the same thing. But what I want is for you to be in the will of God, whatever that church may be. And if you're here visiting, and I know that we have regular attenders who come and visit all the time, I would say this, make it a front burner issue in your life to get committed to a local church. Because as long as you're not committed to any church at all, And you just come and you go and you sit in the pew and there's no Sunday school class, there's no small group, there's no accountability, there's no support. Are you really living for God? Or are you just being part of a cultural norm? Well, we live here in South Georgia. Sunday morning's the worship hour. I'm going to come and I'm going to go to church and I'm going to feel good about myself and by the time I get home, I'm going to forget what the pastor said and go back to the rest of my life. You can fool yourself, but you can't fool God. And church attendance is not the deciding factor. Now, let me tell you my burden specifically. I'm going to be hard on my own age group. All right? So I'm going to be hard on the 25 to 55 age group here. I'm going to widen that gap a little bit here. (laughs) All right? 25 to 55. I know there's a couple generations. There's a Generation X and some Millennials in there. But I'm just going to widen that gap for a minute. We have turned church into a series of preferences well, I like the preaching this way. I like the music this way. I'd like for my church to have programs that will help my children. I'd like to have services that match up with my schedule. I'd like to volunteer when it's convenient and to have this and to have this and to have this. Now, I'm not saying that in the midst of praying for the will of God, you don't consider those things. Of course. But if we turn church into preference, we're missing it. Church is not a product to be consumed. It is the living, breathing body of a Savior to be worshiped. Amen. And we need to be where God wants us to be. And if we're not actively participating in a local body, whether you're sitting in a pew on Sunday or not, I'm telling you, you're running from God. You're running from Him. You may be fooling yourself, but you're running. It is not God's will. I'm so grateful that Real Women's Ministry was here this morning. It's not God's will for you to live the Christian life apart from the fellowship of local believers. I remember when I worked at Pineland, this one coworker of mine, he'd say it to me till I was red in the face. He'd say, Bo, church is a bunch of hypocrites. I don't need that. I can worship God in the deer stand every bit as much as I can worship in church. Yeah, but in the deer stand, you got no accountability. You can make God anything you want Him to be in that deer stand. But when you walk into church and you're accountable to the people in the pew next to you and you're accountable to the pastor who's preaching the Word and you're convicted by the Holy Spirit as the Word is being expounded upon, all of a sudden you're living in the will of God and it's convicting. There's things in life that God wants to change in your life. And you can't do that in a deer stand. Now, personal devotion time in a deer stand? Amen. If you connect with God through nature, get your Bible, get a deer stand and go. But that's the beginning and not the end of our relationship with the Lord. We are running. And it's time we start running in the other direction. So that leads us to our conclusion. And our conclusion is this. Like Jonah, we have all ran from God. But by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, we can stop running from His judgment and start running towards His mercy. So in which direction are you running today? Let me read that one more time. Like Jonah, we've all run from God, but by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, we can stop running from his judgment and start running towards his mercy. So in which direction are you running today? I've said before and I'll say it again, I'll never be anything but honest behind this pulpit. And as I open up his word, I consider my own life. I consider the times of my life when I thought I was a Christian to times of my life where I, I knew that I genuinely had changed, that God had taken that heart of stone and He had replaced it with the heart of flesh, and I had a desire for His Word, and I had a desire to be around His people. And I wish somebody could have taken me and shaken me when I was living the way I thought a Christian should live. Although I'll be honest, if they had shaken me, I probably would have continued running in the other direction. What I'm saying to you right now is partly a movement that God has to begin. The Holy Spirit has to descend upon us and tug on us and change our hearts and convict our minds. But we're also responsible human agents. God holds us responsible for the decisions that we make. We decide when the alarm goes off, are we coming or are we going to roll over? We decide when we come to this church week after week, are we going to join? Are we going to check out other churches? or Are we just going to be a wallflower for a few more months? We can decide. We have those decisions. And we're going to be held accountable for those decisions as well. What are we doing with our lives? And are we running into the will of God? Or are we running away from the will of God? As we close, I just want to offer you some concluding thoughts of application. Ways to gauge in your own life if this is where you are. And let me, and let me say, with these words come Mercy. Okay. I know it's heavy, the things we've talked about here this morning, but the title of our sermon series is Lord Have Mercy. And the reason why is we have a God who's merciful, amen? amen. We have a God who loves us so much. It does not, know, it does not matter how far we've swayed. It does not matter how far we go. It doesn't matter what ship we got into and what storm we're swirling around in. God's mercy is greater than we could ever understand. So let me offer three thoughts. Here's the first. If you heard this message today with oxygen still in your lungs, you haven't outrun God yet. There's still hope. Today is the day that you could turn back to God. Today is the day that you're going to draw a line in the sand and say, me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. I'm going to open up his word. I'm going to do the best I can. And when I fall, I'm going to keep going in a Christ-like direction. If you still have oxygen in your lungs, it doesn't matter how unrighteous your life has been. It doesn't matter how far you've swayed from Him. Again, it doesn't matter what you've been through. If you make this commitment, God will honor it, and He will show mercy upon you, as we'll see in a few weeks the way He showed it to the Ninevites. The second thought is this. If you know what you should do, waiting until tomorrow is not an option because tomorrow may not come. All right, for my college roommate i have lost touch with him i do not know where he is or what he's doing with his life but i can tell you this right now if he's still breathing which i think he is god has spared him long enough to make that decision and he woke up this morning with the opportunity to serve him and when he goes to bed tomorrow night he may not wake up again if you know what god's calling you to do do not wait until after lunch to make that decision Here's my third and final thought, and we'll close. If you will not obey the will of God, you are boarding a ship that is heading to nowhere. Get off the ship and start running towards God. Again, I don't know your situation. I really don't. We all have storms in our life. We all have these seasons where we struggle. Nobody's perfect. I'm not talking about living a perfect life. The reason that we have confession in the worship service is because I don't want to start singing to God until I've been cleansed by God because I sin every single day of my life. The key is, in what direction am I moving? In which direction am I going? If I'm falling, am I falling forward? Am I falling into the arms of a Savior who can catch me, who can restore me, who can strengthen me, and who will because He wants to make me into His image? So that, so I'm not talking about perfection. And I'm also saying this. I heard people say this left and right, and let me just close by, by putting this in the right perspective. I've heard people look me right in the eyes and say, I am not ready to go to church. i got to get things in my life right before I join a church. That is the equivalent of saying, i got to get well before I go to the doctor. You don't wait until you get well. You storm the door of the doctor's office when your nose is running and the thermostat says, or the thermometer says 103. You don't wait until it goes down to 98.6 and then ask for a a prescription of antibiotics. All right? So when it comes to following the Lord Jesus Christ, we sing those words, just as I am, God means it. You don't clean yourself up, you can't clean yourself up. You come, you come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you give your life to Him. So as we close, we're going to enter a time of, of invitation and the altars are always open and I'm going to open them with the thought of two things. Number one, if you're not a Christian. I'm not saying that you've never been in a church or prayed a prayer. I'm saying you know, based on our guidelines today that we've looked at, that you're not a believer. G- you, Jesus Christ is not the Savior and the Lord of your life. I would, I would, I would tell you to come at this time. Come to the altar and pray. I will pray. I can pray with you. I'll give you some time to be alone with the Lord and pray yourself. Be happy to talk with you after the service. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't have tomorrow promised. And I promise if you leave this church and go hop a ship, you're going to be going to a place to nowhere. Number two, maybe you are a Christian and there's a season of your life that you know you're in right now and you're running from God. You've gotten distracted and gotten busy and filled your life with things that are good but that are not God. And he's got no place in your life. There's no devotional time. There's no opportunity for you to love him and to serve him. You haven't heard him speak or see him move in your life for months and maybe even years at this point. He's not the Lord of your life. Maybe he is truly your Savior, but he has ceased being your Lord because you put him on the back shelf. Today's the day to stop running, to turn in another direction and to place your faith in Jesus Christ. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we love You. And we thank You and praise You. Father, again, everyone, myself included, in this room has ran from You. And it is only because of You and Your rescue effort that we could ever turn back to You. But You have made that effort through Jesus Christ and You've given us Your printed Word that we could see what Your Word made flesh has done for us. So, Heavenly Father, I would pray if anybody in this room does not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that You would convict hearts and minds right now at this very hour, that they would pray, repent, and believe. If anybody in this room has placed their faith in Jesus Christ, but they've had a season of running, let this be a time, Father, where they return back to You Father, we love you, we thank you and praise you and offer these words in Jesus' name.